Greetings, I am Jim. And I am Sean, and we welcome you to our podcast. Our goal is to entertain you with our discussions about RPG, fantasy, and everything in between. Come sit by the fire. You're safe here. We'll keep watch. We hope you enjoy 13-Sided Die. Level 2, Episode 19. How to work with high-level characters. Come learn all our tips and tricks to manage high-level characters as a DM and how to get the most out of them as a player. Point of note, we recorded this late at night and being a little tired and punchy, you can hear when the main topic morphs into a Tolkien slash Lord of the Rings show. I confuse Eowyn with Eomer, damn writers of Rohan. And you can also listen to us profess that feeble-minded chicken is our favorite protein. All this and more in our latest episode of 13-Sided Die. Hello, adventurers. It's uh, Sean Ardnor Minis here alongside my good friend... Epic Jim. That is right, Epic Jim. So last show we talked about doing an episode um, from one of the questions that came through from John, uh, the Noel Who Crafts on Instagram. And John's question was in regards to high-level play... And what John wrote was, what are your thoughts on high-level play, level 12 plus? I've heard and been told that's where the game really breaks down and strangely becomes less fun. Thoughts on how to remedy, uh, sorry, thoughts on this and how to remedy it. And what are your steps or pillars uh, of ga- prep for a game? How long does it tend to take, etc., etc.? So that was kind of what John uh, put forward. And uh, I think uh, we talked quickly. We both agreed it was a really good topic. That's uh, right? awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the simple solution to it is, um, you know, TPK and don't let your mm-hmm. characters, you know, players get to high level. Like, that's it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Rocks fall, everybody dies. That's the way I see it. Meteor shower. Yeah. You know, end of the world, cataclysm, dinosaurs are all dead. It's that, it's that kind of thing. It's just super simple. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, so I, I do want to agree with um, John in the sense of, I personally don't find games as a DM as a, as interesting to me with higher level characters as I do with lower lower to middle characters. I tend to find the sweet the sweet spot for me are players from level probably three four to about level nine. Like that's the that's the zone I really like to play in uh, as a DM. Funny enough, as a player, I don't mind playing a high level characters. I, I I think it's a lot of fun to play that. So it's just. I think for me as a DM, it's a, I find it is so much more work. And I think we can talk a bit about that tonight, about the things that you can do to help strategize and, and go with that. Jim, how do you feel? What is your feelings as a DM and as a player about high-level characters? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Classic uh, Jim and Sean, everybody. I find the quite the opposite. I like being low-level with my characters, and I like high players as when I'm a DM because then I can throw more stuff at them. That's cool. Good for you, buddy. That's awesome. You know, and that's what I think is really funny. Like Jim and I find that all the time, their relationship, there's so many things that we like and agree on, but there's some things that we're just totally at opposite ends. And I think that's really cool because it'd be boring if we were just duplicates of each other. Um, You know, doppelgangers, that wouldn't be cool. Uh, So I think today, some of the things that would be really good to do is to talk about, um, and and again, we always say this, I I don't want this podcast to be like a DMs podcast. I, I like to know both sides of the fence. So I think we should talk a little bit about you know, high level um, characters from a perspective of a DM and a perspective as a player, because mm-hmm. there's a certain onus on a player once you get to higher level, I think, as well to to live up to that character. So, 
John says, you know, I guess that was the answer to the question. As a DM, I'm not as big of a fan. Jim is a fan. As a player, I, I like playing high-level characters. Um, I, you know, I also like playing that middle zone as well a lot, probably more, but I don't mind playing high-level characters. And Jim's not as much of a fan playing the high-level characters. So that's that's really cool. So that's kind of a little bit of the first part of John's um, comment or question. But I guess let's talk some strategies and some things you can do, first of all, as a DM with high-level characters. For me, the first thing that comes to my mind when you're going to say, okay, we got, we're going to have, you know, play with characters that are high-level. Are you talking about that you start with high-level characters or these are characters that have progressed to high-level? Because that's a very, very different yeah. scenario, right? If you've progressed those characters up to high-level, then as a DM, you know those characters really, really well. They've become family to you. You know what's going on. You know their backstory. You've been working with it. So you just kind of continue and... Part of the scope then is very much like you said, Jim, is you really have to ratchet things up for those characters to go up against, um, be it monsters, encounters, puzzles, everything. It just has to be amped up, right, to do that. If you're playing a game where you're having players drop in at level 12, 15, 19, whatever, that's a very different thing to start from scratch with high-level characters. And I, I, for one, really wouldn't recommend it unless it's a one-shot because... Um, you don't have you don't have any connection to those characters, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Even a one. Have you ever played like a one shot where you're really high level? Like start? Uh, I, uh, quite a while ago, I remember playing a one shot game where we started in around the level fifteen or something. Um, it, you know, and it was okay, but I, I, I in that situation, I'd much prefer to play a lower one. Um, in our previous campaign, I think we talked about this before. The big bad guy at the end of the campaign grabbed. Uh, from the void, one of the uh, major NPCs and dragged her into hell, basically. And that's, you know, that was like four years ago, we finished that campaign. At some point in time, I'm going to get my group together again and say, okay, we're going to do a one shot, we're going to go and rescue that NPC. And so it'll be their characters, it'll even probably be higher level than they are when the game ended, because it could be a, a certain length of time afterwards. So it'll be really fun to take those characters that we all know and love, because we played with them for four years, to go and, you know, that's a great example of high level characters in that situation. And as a DM, I'm going to have to bring my A game, because these players are going to be so formidable, you know, you really have to put that together. Strategies for some of that stuff? Uh, so, for me, if we're talking about battle strategy, there's a number of things you, you just have to do. Um, you need to have obviously some really good big bad guys and some really strong um, monsters. You want to make sure these monsters have um, really good reactions, lots of really cool abilities. You want to make sure that they have a lot of legendary actions and legendary resistances. Uh, if you guys aren't using those, I'd highly, highly recommend look that up and use that kind of stuff. It's so critical where, you know, because these characters that you're going to be playing against are so strong, you're going to be hitting with, they're going to hit you with huge big spells. You're going to have to counter that stuff. And I don't mean a counter spell, but a legendary resistance. And, you know, you might only, that, that monster might have three legendary resistances. So you start, you know, leveling off their spells by using your resistances to that. You need to have lots of sub-level monsters. So you don't just go at them with one monster. You have a number of them around that they have to wade through. Are you familiar with um, the Matt Colville? Mm, the, oh yeah. yeah. Matt, if you, anybody out there haven't um, listened to any of Matt Colville stuff, uh, he's got the new Arcadia um, magazine they release. And he's just, he's just a wealth of knowledge. I think we've talked about Matt before on our show. 
But um, I was watching a thing of his the other day, and he uses things called um, minions. Call them minions? I'm sure he calls them minions. Um, if I got that wrong, somebody will correct me. But he said basically he'll put it in like, you know, there'll be like 25 zombies. And there'll be all these zombies on the table. But the, the deal with them is you just hit them once they're dead. You don't even have to know, you know, you don't even keep track of hit points, how much damage it. They're hit once, they're dead type of thing. The only time you'd need to know their hit points is if it's like a sleep spells cast or something, right? But those are great things to put out there. Lots of moving targets. A character could get swarmed with five or six of them around them, but they could literally just, you know, at a higher level, you have multiple, you know, attacks. You could get rid of three or four in one round type of deal. So I think you need that kind of scatter. Then you need a bunch of other kind of, you know, sub monsters and then the big bad monster. And uh, you can always have another one come in from the rear. Like, do you know what I mean? You, ha- I, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You have to have lots of that kind of stuff. Um, you, what do you think, Jim? You got stuff to add to that for the idea of thoughts of battles? Um, well, I was just going to say for, because I played in a high level campaign like that. Um, mm-hmm. White Plume Mountain is a 15 hour one shot. Ooh, geez. Yeah. And we started, I can't remember if we were level 15 or 17. Okay. But it was a nightmare to make our characters. Well, for really? me anyways. And like I was in six or seven campaigns at the time, like 5e, like wow. very familiar with 5e, but to like level up that much so quick. Yeah. Pick, you know, you're picking like 12 spells. It's crazy, right? Like whatever, right? So just do, I just say like, do your homework. Yeah. Like for the yeah. player side. Yeah. Yeah. If I, you're I starting don't, like that. I kind of don't recommend that personally as a mm-hmm. way to go because Without growing into that character, it's it's very artificial. Do you know what I mean? Like you're just you're literally because you like you said you you've also going to put a character of seventeen levels or whatever. You, it takes so much time. You're just going through as quickly as you can. So you're not really familiar with that character at all. Um, but if you'd attained that seventeenth level by going through like three or four years of campaign, you would know that character inside and out, and be it'd be a lot more fun. But yeah, I think that's really critical. You have to be very careful in the battles. Um, there's other great tactics that you use where there's like. Uh, something happens here, and as a, before the players can even rest and move on, there's another thing that happens, so you kind of send them through the gauntlet type of deal. You have to do stuff like that. I'm also a big fan of environmental actions as well, so that if pick a place where you want to have this, you know, interaction occur and maybe there's like things dropping from the ceiling like the rocks there's something's happened and maybe the big bad does some kind of crazy earthquake thing that shakes everything and now things are falling so at any point in time the environment is also a thing so at the end of every round there's an environmental impact where players can get damaged from um lava is a great use of that those kind of things so the characters are so big you have to whittle them down you know, player, players love that. Like when the maps are moving and like feel alive, like right. even if you're getting hurt, you're still like, this is so cool. Like what a ride. <laughs> right now, now, bear with me, Jim, bear with me. So like Star Wars, there's times, <laughs> yeah. right? When you think about it, when they're on these things where there's all this stuff going on under their feet. Now I like seeing Star Wars because I just watched Jim cringe. But, you know, again, like we always say, think of movies, go to an epic movie and think about the stuff that is going on a lot of times battles occur when crazy stuff's happening all around the characters and the environment they're in becomes an equal nemesis right like it's trying to kill them too and so those are great and it does really what's interesting with stuff like that to me is that in a battle characters generally know if they're going to get banged on right like Mm -hmm. i've got a bad guy right in front of me or i've got these guys rushing in on me like they kind of know but when it's an environmental thing, it's random, right? Like you 
pick six of your players, you roll a dice six and see who gets whacked type of idea. Like, And so you could have that wizard or maybe a thief hiding in the shadows or whatever it is, they can get nailed too. And, mm-hmm. and that's, to me, I think it's very important to have that environmental thing in there because these guys are powerful. And if you have a party of four or five, six people, a powerful high-level characters, you got to bring it. Um, and I think that would be kind of my next thing to say. And this is where I'm sorry, folks, you do have to put the time in if you do want to DM, you know, don't just rely on pulling up a creature stat, a monster stat. Once you're getting to that level, you have to have a bad guy NPCs. Plain Especially in 5e. You have to. Uh, the characters stack way faster than the... The monsters. The monsters, yeah. Totally do. Now, unless you're dropping on like four red dragons onto the table, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have... NPCs that are high level as well, you know, and then that means that you are quickly rolling up and, you know, and there's there, you can do that online. You can go online. If it's not a character, if it's for a bad NPC, you can go online and use generators and generate a high level character, but you do have to have a certain knowledge of their spells. If it's a magic user, once you get to that level, you're going to have to have a strong magic user as a bad guy, because there's going to be a magic user in the party that's going to be chucking crazy shit at you. Crazy, yeah. Crazy stuff at that level, right? So you have to be able to do that back. Um, Counterspell is something you're going to have to want to have. So I'm not saying it's not fun. It really is, but it is a lot of work. And, and John is right. He asked about that. Like, yes, I, I feel at a higher level, there's more prep work for me that comes in um, as a DM to manage those higher level games. So... And to me, that that brings up another part of it. We're kind of talking about if there's an encounter. For me, if you have characters of that level, the story's got to match that level. Epic storytelling. Epic storytelling, right? Like the players aren't going to want to be like 15th level and they're, you know, going and rescuing, you know, a a lost sheep. Like that's not the deal at that point, right? Like they need to be doing epic level heroic stuff. And if they you know, in the realities of the realities of a fantasy game that uh, <laughs> if you're that level, you're, you're, there's a certain level of prominence that would come with it. People would know who you are, you know, or if they didn't know who you are, when you step in a room, you're going to bring that element, that air of what you've achieved and what you've kind of accumulated in, in your, in your adventuring. So you need to make sure that the world equals what the level they've attained type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and which could mean that they're at that point, they're either, you know, maybe doing tasks or working with like the height of city councils or kings of, you know, different levels of royalty. Like they, they are doing big shit in a, in oh, yeah. a world, right? Like I'd say between like levels 17 and 20, you're basically a demigod. It's crazy how powerful characters are at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, and so as a DM, you have to write that. So that, that kind of writing takes a lot more thought and thinking than your lower level characters where you're just like, yeah, there's a, there's a tribe of orcs that have gone and, you know, kidnapped somebody or they've taken, you know, the farmer's livestock and it, <laughs> it's a lot higher stakes. And I think again, using our, you know, our comparison to a movie, 
there has to be a good plot. Why? What's going on? What you know? And that goes to our conversations we previously had about really good engaging bad guys and why are they doing it? Well, this is where it comes to fruition. You know, at those high levels, this is when the political intrigue happens and it's like warring nations and there's spies and there's stuff going on and these guys are trying to figure all that out and they're in the midst of this and they're being pulled apart and they're 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 seen as key players, so they are being attacked by different areas, you know, maybe even politically, right? Like you have to bring all of that into it because that's the level you're at. And so um yeah, John it is a lot tougher with higher level characters. Um, now there's huge rewards. And for me, that's what I'm talking as a player. I love playing in that kind of world where there's that much going on. There's that much at stake. There's that much to soak in and take in. That's exciting. Like that's really fun to play in that kind of world, but it's a lot of work for a DM. So people, if you are a player at that level, tip your hat to the DM and say, thank you, but give it back to them. Make sure that you are, using, and I'll use the word exploiting in the best possible way, exploiting everything the DM's putting out there, like dig into it. Why is that the political intrigue or what's going on? And, 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 you know, and don't just hack and slash, get into the role-playing element of it and the figuring out and the story and the plot, add to it, build upon it, make it epic. Um, your character deserves that. They're a high level character. They've earned that. So there's a lot, I think there's more weight on the shoulders of players at that point to also be of that level. Yeah. And then like increased rule complexity, right? Yeah. Then now, yeah, you got to know all this crap that you usually don't have to deal with. And it's like, no, we got to figure out all this flying distance and speed. And because the druid can just fly around now. And that's right. That's right. Totally. I think I also tend to find on certain things too that, um, and, you, and you're very good about this, Jim. We talked about this before, but I, I think I, I tend to give a lot of passes at that level. Like if a player says, I want to do this, and the rules say they should roll to see if they do that, they're 17th level, they can just freaking do it. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I, I'm not going to, well, someone say, well, what if they rolled a nat one? Yeah, you know what? I don't care. That's not epic to me. Like, on most of the mundane things, I'm just going to get them to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Clutch moments and important things and stuff they're putting together. Sure, we're going to do some rolls, skill checks. But for the most part, you know, when a player has like a plus 15 to, you know, stealth, you're not going to say, okay, can you roll for me? Because their plus 15 is probably just their their modifier is probably already beaten, you know, or close to have beaten what the DC is. So it's like, I don't want to know if they rolled a one. Unless yeah. it's really critical. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's really, really critical. But it isn't a general... It's not, it's not worth it. Like, I, I, I think they've earned that. And that's what I did love about, you know, Matt Colville's thing about talking about, you know, having these minions where there's just so many of them, they just get to wade through them. That's a really fun thing as a character to just mow things down, right? It's very um, Legolas and Gimli counting how many, you know, orcs they've dropped. It's like that kind of idea. It's a lot of fun. So the idea of just having these characters that you don't really have to keep track of their hit points, if they get hit, they're dead. That's a really fun thing for players to kind of wade through as they're getting to the bigger, badder stuff. Fireball. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Take out 30 of them in one blast. Like, you know, sure, yeah. that's fun. So I think that's some of the biggest things about that. Like, it's really important, really important to consider all the aspects of what you have constructed and and, and to just build upon it. So some of that does have to happen in the early levels. You want to be thinking about, you know, not all games go to high level, but if they do, I think you want to lay the groundwork for that. Not groundwork that makes it have to happen. Like if your characters only get to level seven and the game is good and you can cap it there and that's the end of the campaign, that's great. 
But I think you want to make sure you're laying some of the groundwork that you can continue, that there is a, a meatier, beefier story that allows it mm-hmm. to continue and keeps it interesting. And you're not just looking for the farmer's lost sheep, you know, like that's, that becomes boring at, at, at that point. So that's fun. Something that was a very big thing that um, we used to do back in the old days, uh, AD&D days, is um, it was a, a thing if you looked in the manual, you could see it would tell you based on your charisma how many henchmen you were able to attain. And it's kind of gone out of favor. It's not really – I don't think you really see it very much anymore. Um, maybe I'm not looking in the right place. But um, it was kind of neat that you would acquire these henchmen. And I can remember you know, a little bit more when we played um, – uh, Merp Middle Earth role playing, where we would our, our games would go on for like you know seven to ten years, these crazy huge long campaigns, um, where we would li- literally have like our own area where we built up a castle and we'd have like we'd have people running stuff and all these kind of things. We'd go off on adventures and come back and they would tell us what had happened and what had gone on and it was really fun. But we started actually building our own like militia, so we'd have certain people that we'd come into contact with and we'd hire them to go and train. So we'd have our own little mini armies and, and that's really fun. Something that you can do is if that happens, if you find as a DM you're getting kind of a little bit worn down by the big epic high-level character stuff, I know what we used to do is our DM would say, okay, next game's a henchman game. And you would pick one or two of your favorite henchmen and you would go off with a couple of other members of the party with their henchmen and you'd have like a low-level game because these guys are like maybe four or fifth level and then you could play those guys on their own little adventure because they're getting sent off by your main characters to go and do something. And that was really fun because it'd be a break in the action. It would still be part of the story. It's still in that world, but it's with these lower level characters and it progresses the story, but does it in a softer way. That was really fun. And, uh, you know, as I say that now, I think maybe I should be introducing some of that into my own game again and bring that back because that was kind of a, a really fun thing to do as a, as a way just to step outside from the game for a little bit. Yeah, I was just going to say, in our Eberron campaign, I think we got like 30 staff members in our keep. And like, I love that idea. Definitely going to bring that up. Yeah, we spent a whole session just like, it was a whole session of just like hiring people and like figuring out who we needed because we had to build the keep. So we need like blacksmiths and bricklayers, farmers and, you know, you name it. And, you know, for me, that's as fun as D&D gets. Yeah, and I would recommend that to anybody as a DM or if you're a player, ask your DM if that's possible. Build a keep, build a manor, build a castle, like whatever it is. And yeah, DMs listening, it will give you, just like Jim said, some spare time where the players will sit around the table and literally talk for hours about, you know, the tapestry that's hanging in the hall and, you know, who is the head, uh, you know, uh, bartender we have in our, our own inn. Like we had our, our players in the last campaign bought an inn. Like that was their fun thing. And so they own, they own this inn, which was really fun to have their own tavern. Um, it's fun to do that. And it's fun to let characters go and dress the place up how they want. And like I said, hire the people and figure stuff out. And that's, that's it is part of D&D. It totally is. And it's a really fun thing. And it does give the DM a nice break to let these guys go off on, you know, we need to go buy some new stuff for the, for the taverns. They're off on a sales trip to buy things for it. Like it's just silly, right? It's a lot of fun. Um, and that's part of things as characters get bigger and stronger. That's what they do. They, they, you have all this riches and gold, treasure, money, stuff that you've brought in. You need to do stuff with it. And so putting it into stuff like that is fantastic. Yeah, that's the best way to whittle down gold. That's what I always do in my <laughs> campaigns too. Oh, I'll get the carpenter to come by and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could build you, you, you guys some nice beds. But if you want like 
you guys want good beds, well, that's going to be a little extra. And then, you know, you put the party members against each other being like, well, he's getting some rubies put in his bed. Like, do you want something <laughs> kind of like that? And then all of a sudden, you know, they've spent $1,500 on beds. <laughs> right. But they've yeah. got the money. Why not? Yeah. And then they got to go back out and go adventuring again. And you know, it is funny because I was reminded recently, like in the old days, how you got experience was by how much gold you found, right? Every piece of gold is worth experience. So you did get experience for killing things and achieving stuff, but the majority of your experience came from how much treasure you acquired. That's the roots of what D&D was. Subsequent future uh, versions of D&D kind of eliminated that. And so now getting treasure is just to ha have treasure, but we used to have crazy amounts of treasure because we were just trying to get experience. It wasn't about the gold. You didn't care about the gold. It was literally, I needed to, I want to level up. So it was about where can we find treasure to go and level up. But yeah, you know, as players, they get usually wind up having tons and tons and tons of treasure and gold. And sometimes they never do anything with it. It just sits there. Like we literally made a room, a safety room in our castle with the tricks and traps and all this stuff to keep the treasure in. Because yeah. we wanted to steal our treasure. <laughs> we had to come up with a whole elaborate scheme of protecting our treasure, which was kind of funny and truthful. Some other party might come and try and steal from you. It's fun. So th those are certainly things that you need to consider. And I think like John had asked about prep time. Yeah, sadly, I think, like I said, the higher the level of the players, the, the more time you're going to be spent planning. Now, there's all the same things we've talked about to help make speed things up, make things easier. And you can make really quick kind of random encounters and stuff that happens. But there still needs to be a good level story plot going on that makes people make your players really want to be engaged. Yeah. And uh, for DMs, it's a fun way to use stuff that you've never been able to in your games. Mm. So you've, you've only ran level five to seven or whatever in a high level campaign. Yeah, they find a cache of Vorpal swords. There's deck of many things in there. There's magic yep. carpets. Like, you name it. Something fun you want to just try, just throw it in there. Totally. You totally. rarely give them anything from the book. Yeah, exactly. Because they're at that level, they can they can use it and they've attained it. The other thing for me that's really cool is if you really want to shake things up is that, like we said, their, their level of pr prominence is so high that it would it's not unrealistic that they wouldn't get called to the king's chambers to talk directly to the king. The king says, listen, in a distant land, my forefathers originally came from, it's a time of strife and trouble, and I need you to go there and bring this to me, this item to me, or bring my distant cousin to me. They're, they're you know, kind of like a crusade type of thing. They're stuck there, and, and we're losing. We're, we're going to lose that ancient lands of ours. I've accepted that, but I need my family member. I only trust you because you're defenders of the realm, because you're so sacred to us. You're the only ones that can do this. And you send them on a freaking journey on some other world. So it takes them like a month to get there. And they're so far away out of their element. You can do that. And they're mm -hmm. high enough level that they, they can go and do this special thing for the king, right? Like no one else is going to get asked to do that. And now all of a sudden you're sending your players on this crazy, crazy crusade somewhere they've never been with tons of stuff they don't know anything about. And it puts them in a, a tougher situation. And because they've not been there before, now you can just make it all up and do whatever you want. Um, you have the ability to do that. And they have earned that right to be asked by the king to do that kind of stuff. So, you know, I don't, I don't want people to feel like, don't do it because it's a lot of work. Just be careful on how you do it because that actually then becomes a campaign that's a little bit more manageable. There's not as much to that um, because you put them in a different world, you know. 
Think of like how, you know, poor Frodo gets asked to go and take this ring on this crazy long journey. You could ask, the players could get asked to do something like that. We have this crazy mission that only you could, because of what you've done and what we've seen you do, we know you can do this crazy mission and send them on some kind of wild mission. Some, you know, crazy old famous, you know, wizard asks them to go and do this crazy task. You can do that. Yeah. I know this isn't a Lord of the Rings episode, but I read the other day, um, why didn't Frodo just tie the ring to a chicken and then have the chicken on lead and then just brought him? Because, like, right. to the chicken would get evil, but, like, how much damage can an evil chicken do in Middle Earth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> why didn't he do that? <laughs> My answer would be, I think the ring would be too heavy for the chicken to carry. Mm. Like, maybe the ring itself, because it has a weight to it, and on... Yeah feeble-minded creatures no offense chickens we lo- we all love you you taste great we love you yeah. but a chicken's a pretty feeble-minded creature and it would probably possess the chicken to be too heavy for it mm, that that, that's sense. my thoughts that's my thoughts yeah chicken you're my favorite protein so don't, <laughs> don't you ever forget that lots of love for the chickens <laughs> yeah it's interesting right like uh i, I always loved in yeah we'll turn this to a tolkien uh lord of the rings <laughs> episode I absolutely totally loved um, because when we, people say that, like, who's the hero of uh, Lord of the Rings? And when they asked Tolkien, he had said it's Sam. Sam is the mm-hmm. hero um, because he's the kind of the silent one in the background. Sam's like um, Piglet in Winnie the Pooh. He's this quiet but very strong creature that's always there when when he's needed. And um, you know, I love the thing where you know, Mister Frodo, if I can't carry the ring for you. I'll carry you. Yeah. Like, and that's just, oh, God, that, that just makes me tear up. And it's just so, <laughs> so poetic and so beautiful. And it's just like this character that just will do anything. And he'll literally carry, you know, his friend because he's so tired and worn out. And then, like, that's just so amazing, so beautiful. Um, yeah. What that has to do with high-level characters, I got no idea. And that, but, uh, I, I never agreed with that. With what? That Sam was the hero. Come on! It was Gandalf, and then after Gandalf, it was Aragorn, and no. then maybe Sam in third place. No, no, Sam is Aragorn is fantastic. I mean, he's my favorite. I love Aragorn. Um, Gandalf is. I don't know if he, he's not. He's not a hero. He's just he's so powerful. Like you can't confuse power with heroics. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. yeah I guess you could argue we fought a Balrog. Oh, big whoop. Um, but it's just. Sam is this unrelenting in the darkest moments. He didn't mm. despair. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that to yeah. me, that's just how he's very, very heroic in that sense. And he's, he's the, he's the, I'm not a hero hero. Do you know what I mean? Cause he, he would never think of himself as a hero. And he's just this quiet person that just tries all the time. And it's like, it's very rare in the story. You'll find a moment when Sam falters or when Sam messes up. Where you think about everybody else, there's times when they falter, there's times when they do things wrong. Um, Sam is the one of the group, really, that just kind of stays steadfast the whole time, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. You're just describing Aragorn. I mean, yeah. what does he do wrong? What's- Aragorn constantly, <laughs> constantly has a hard time making the decision to actually mm. be king. He's wrestling with it the whole time. It's on his conscience. He has to almost be told that, dude, it's time. You have to do this. Like, he almost has to be told that. He's um, torn for the love of Arwen 
on having her remain in Middle-earth and not go across like the rest of the Valar. And that weighs heavily on. So he's just got so much on his head. And he's in his head. He's always he's in his head a lot, thinking a lot. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I think, and don't get me wrong, he's my favorite character. I absolutely love Aragorn, my favorite character in Lord of the Rings. But he is um, full of uh, of a personal doubt. And that's yeah. not heroic. Do you know what I mean? He's, he is a hero. He is very much a hero. But I think Sam is ironically Sam is the the biggest hero. Ironically, yeah. Aragorn and Tolkien and Tolkien. And Tolkien said he was. So there you go. <laughs> Aragorn is too busy thinking about girls and not enough about the ring, you know? <laughs> John said it. I got in an argument with, uh, not an argument, a disagreement. I don't argue much. A disagreement with um, my DM about I didn't like, and I'm sure I've spoken about this before, I didn't like the portrayal of a love triangle in Lord of the Rings between Aragorn, Arwen, and Eomer. Mm. Eomer, that's right. That's her name, isn't it? The female lady of Rowan? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's her name. I always get her name wrong. But I think I got it right. She's the one who kills the Witch King. Says, mm-hmm. I'm not a man. Takes, you know, right? Um, and they, they form a love triangle between kind of the three of them. I'm drawing a triangle in the air here. I can um, see it. Jim can <laughs> see it. And that's not, I never, ever really picked that up in the book. Right. Like I never, and the movie f- seemed to make it quite prominent that she was just like taken with Aragorn and, you know, like it was really like she wanted, she wanted to be with him. And, um, my buddy, John, who's a big Tolkien fan, uh, I just thought he would side with me immediately and he didn't. And he said, you know what? <laughs> like he said, you know, it's not implicit in the book. He said, but it's, it's, it's understandable that it could be. And he said, there's a few things in there you can read where it sounds like she is quite smitten with him. So this could be an extension of that. And it's like, that's interesting. You know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I tend to be very, I very defensive of the book. And in, in like the film, when they did things that aren't in the book, I get very upset because it's like, don't be, it feels like they're rewriting history. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and a movie is an interpretation of a book. It's not the book kind of thing. So. They're anyway. still the best movies that were ever made, though. They're really good movies. Yeah, they were really good movies. <laughs> and, and for the most part, a lot of even the even the this, what does this got to do with high level characters? Well, okay, I guess Aragorn is a high level character, so there you go. Yeah, that, that oh, works. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's true. Um, even the the CG and everything still holds up pretty well. Oh yeah, you know, like it, it's it's not too bad. Um, yeah, interesting. Everyone watches the Lord of the Rings trilogy at least once a year. Yeah. Anyone that likes Lord of the Rings, anyways. Yeah, I think so. I still haven't watched the, all The Hobbit yet. <laughs> you should. It's not something I can do when I'm in the studio working because I want to sit and look mm-hmm. at it. If I'm working, it's great to put Lord of the Rings on because I can just listen to it while I'm working. I don't have to stare at the TV. But yeah. I really want to just sit down. And Mrs. Ardnor has no interest in watching a little Hobbit walk across Middle Earth. So she doesn't want to watch it. So. And Stardust too. You still go watch that one? Yeah, I was being uh, 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 I was getting abused by that on our uh, Patreon chat group the other day by um, Oh, perfect. Pete. Yeah, Pete was saying that I and he's he's totally caught up. He's listened to all of our episodes. I told him <laughs> we're recording tonight. He's very excited, and uh, told me I should be uh, watching that film too. Well, awesome, Pete. Thank you. Yeah, he did good. I know. That's one of my that's one of my father's favorite films. He loves that movie. It's awesome. It's one of yeah. my favorites too. There you go. You're missing out not watching it. I know. I don't think I don't think it's anywhere on streaming. No, I'll I'll lend it to you. I got the DVD. My dad lent it to me about three years ago, and I haven't watched it yet. 
no no excuse oops, oops. okay yeah. there you go um all right anything else to chat about on high level characters uh no anything, you got anything else about lord of the rings or <laughs> <Aragorn>? <laughs> yeah this went sideways um yeah so to recap high level <laughs> characters can be really fun <clears throat> excuse me it is a bit of work on both sides of the fence to players mm-hmm. and to care and to DMs. I think players have to be responsible to to really play that high level character, and DMs have to be able to put enough to, on the table for those high level characters. You have to up the ante a bit, uh, but it is worthwhile. I think we both agree, though. But as a natural progression from your low level character building up into a high level character is the way to go. Just playing high level characters straight out, it's 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 really tough, and I don't think it's that enjoyable. No, uh, unless you just got like a Trask mini and you just want to try it out. And you just... if, yeah, you know, like we said, if it's a one shot thing, it's not too bad. But I think starting a campaign at a high level is not the way to go because you've not no. you've not not lived in the boots of that character yet. You don't know anything about them. You got to build it up. Yeah, so uh, I hope, John, that was somewhat helpful. Um, it was a great question. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone else has any questions like that, please, we, we actually do read them. And, um, you know, once we laugh at your no we don't laugh at you um no we we do read all those questions and we we love when they come through because it does give us a great topic to talk about so if anybody else has anything that they want to ask us about um if we don't know the answers because we don't always we'll certainly talk about it and figure it out um how can they get a hold of us if they want to ask us a question jim uh they can email us at crystalball at 13sideddie.com yes they can Uh, send us your questions or your love mail or your hate mail or whatever. Yeah, you're still fishing for the hate mail, huh? Yeah, I am. Come on, Chris. I'm looking at you, old crow DM. <laughs> Sick. Uh, okay, well, I think that's probably um, where we will uh, call it here. Um, we are going to take a, a little break. We're going to be back with some more stuff, and uh, we'll catch you all soon. Fantasy Factoid! Hey, gang. Did you know... A 2019 study conducted by D&D Beyond, scanning over 30 million characters in its system, found that only 10% made it past level 10, and that 70% of the characters were between levels 1 and 6. Maybe that speaks to this episode on high-level characters. Are you interested in Dungeons & Dragons, terrain building, miniature painting, and other fantasy items? Do you live in the Calgary area? If so, check out ArtCon! This is our first RPG fantasy gathering, and we're planning to have a great time. Guest speakers, vendors, one-shot games, a mini painting competition, and the live recording of the 13-Sided Die podcast, and so much more. The event will be held on Saturday, June 17th, from lunchtime till 6 o'clock. Go to www.ardcon.com, that's A-A-R-D-C-O-N.com, for more information. Will you be there? All right, everybody, we are back from our little break there. Jim and I were kind of chatting about a couple of things. And uh, Jim apparently has this week's joke of the week. And and what would that be, Jim? All right. So I stole this from John from Tale of the Manticore. I saw it on his Instagram. It was too good. So uh, this one's for you, John. Thanks for uh, giving this to us. Hopefully uh, this is okay that I'm stealing it from you. (laughs) Um, Why did the wraith fall down the well? I did the wraith fall down the well because he couldn't see that well. <laughs> Thanks, John. 
that's really bad. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it is. That that totally okay. that that tracks. That that fits in with just all the rest of our jokes. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, my friends. Uh we did want to do a little chat. Um, first of all, um this episode is a little bit late. There's been a lot going on here. Uh, Jim and I are um, been working quite steadily away on uh, ArdCon that's coming up. Um, I foolishly came up with the idea of having a kind of fantasy uh, D&D RPG gathering here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. It is on Saturday, June 17th uh, from noon till 6 o'clock. And uh, yeah, it's uh, really exciting, but it has been taking up a lot of time. So we just haven't been able to queue up schedules to do this recording. This but recording we, is late, like actually, like it's almost yeah. 11 o'clock right now. Where It is. Yeah. It, yeah it, not only is it late for posting, it's late <laughs> for recording. We, we don't usually record at 11 o'clock at night. So if we're a little bit punchy and that's because we're both tired. Um, so we apologize for not being on our normal, um, nope. normal time, but we don't apologize for anything. Yeah. So, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, anyways, um, it's, um, it's going to be a little while before our next one, but we did want to talk a little bit about ArdCon, let you guys know some more about that. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. Uh, we have a lot of stuff planned for it. Uh, as to, as of right now, I think we only have like three or four vendors left to, uh, pay for their tables, which will give 25 tables of assorted vendors. And dude, we, we have everybody from everything like uh, there's a person coming who makes chain mail jewelry, um, a gentleman who makes uh, a whole bunch of um, fantasy-related wooden products, like signs and cool stuff like that. Um, boy, what else do we have? Uh, dice makers, uh, you know, dice bag makers, all that kind of cool stuff. Um, we have, uh, I think, a couple of different groups are going to be 3D printing minis on site. They're going to be hooking up their machines and printing oh, minis yeah. and stuff on site. Um Mini painters, uh, some some crazy train builder. He's going to be there. Um, there's so much. It's really really cool. Uh, one person, she's awesome. I can't remember her name right now, but she makes um, pins and stickers that are all um, uh, kittens, but RPG related kittens. So there's this really cool, like little kind of almost like anime kitten stuff, but it's all D and D related. That's her whole spiel. It's so sick. Uh, a t-shirt company that's coming that does all really cool RPG related t-shirt stuff. And it's all hand printed here in Calgary. Uh, they've got something. We have a, a couple of cosplay groups coming, bringing cosplay stuff in that they're selling and doing and stuff. Um, oh, it's, it's unreal. It, it's so broad, the different range of uh, people are going to be there at the tables. That's just one aspect of the show. I mean, it's going to be probably the biggest in the sense of that's visually what you'll see is all these tables filled up. But um, we also have a couple of tables set up where we're going to have people running games, uh, a cafe here in town called D6 Cafe. Uh, they uh, really, really neat shops, neat store. If you ever get a chance, check them out here in Calgary. They're just off uh, Barlow and 32nd Avenue in the Northeast. And um, they are coming down, and they're going to have a table set up, and they run a, a, a kind of a D&D light. It's called uh, D6 Adventures, and it's kind of a light version of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, very easy, quick to play, and they'll probably be playing anywhere from two to four games an hour, and three to four people can jump in and play, so it's fairly quick and turnover. So if you've never played before, it's a great way to get in and learn a little bit about the game. And they're just going to be doing all day long playing games, so everybody in the place could sit and jump in and play. It would be amazing. 
Uh, they'll be doing that. And then the table next to them, we're going to be running one shots, um, two uh, throughout the day, uh, probably four or five people per one shot. And they're going to be more of like a two hour sit down, you know, D&D kind of mini game, one shot right through, uh, you know, 5e type stuff uh, with experienced DMs running that. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, we have, uh, speakers, uh, so the stage throughout the day will have people. I'm going to be one of them myself talking about basics of mini, um, miniature terrain building and stuff about that. Uh, our friend Courtney, figuratively speaking, is going to be doing a crazy talk on miniature painting and she is so absurdly talented. I know she's painted a bunch of minis for you, Jim, um, Super nice person. She's going to have a table where she's going to be uh, talking. Uh, I think she has handouts on the basics of mini painting, which is really cool. Uh, so that's going to be a really, really great uh, talk. A uh, good friend of mine, Cliff, who's done uh, built miniatures for, you know, film, stage, everything over the years. He's very talented. He's going to be giving a whole talk on scratch building flat-edged models and stuff. Um, that's going to be really interesting. And a good friend of ours, Mike, is coming down from Edmonton, one of the Wayward Brothers, Ooh. tattoo artist, super talented, going to be talking about fantasy train. No, he's not. He's going to be talking about fantasy art. Um, and uh, that's going to be really, really interesting, really, really worthwhile. And uh, you and I will be doing this. Oh, good old, shit. Good old 13-sided die. And they're going to make Jim talk in front of people. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're – I don't know. I think – I've loosely been thinking that we don't really want to have a topic so much as I think we just want to get up there and tell people a little bit about us, right? I think like introduce us to the crowd, tell them a little bit about our podcast, what we do, what it's about, and then fairly quickly get into taking questions from the audience. I think it'll be a lot of fun and uh, just answer a bunch of questions and have a really good time. Um, We will be recording that live and um, that will be the next episode of 13 Sided Die, which will be really exciting. And I'm hoping that we might be able to even live stream it. If things work out, we might be able to live stream certain elements of the, sh- of the, of the, of Ardcon on Instagram. That's what I'm kind of hoping I'm doing, but we'll see how that goes. So, uh, that'll be exciting. And, uh, there is another thing that's going to be going on. And, uh, maybe you want to tell uh, the folks out there, Jim, what this other cool thing is happening at Ardcon. Uh, I'm going to host a miniature painting competition there. Uh, yes, well, you are. More of a, a challenge. You know, just find there's uh, 15 miniatures of a certain thing and then 15 other miniatures of a certain thing. And then we'll just see, you know, you got an hour to paint them and, and we'll half hour. The winner. Half, half hour. hour. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Half hour. So you got paint which, real which is crazy. It's just the schedule of the day. I think it has to be half hour, but it's going to be uh, intense and wild. You um, keep the mini when you're done. Yeah. Everybody does. And yeah. uh, what else do they get? Uh, you get a trophy if you win and yes. some other sweet goodies. We have a sponsor that contacted us called Fenris, uh, Fenris Workshop. Yeah. They, out in Quebec, they do amazing, amazing stuff. They work a lot with veterans, which I think is just superb. And uh, they have tons of um, tools, paints, paintbrushes, materials, different things to work on to do miniature work. And uh, they are going to be sponsoring um, the competition. They have two main prizes. Everybody who enters will be getting um, a, uh, a prize from them as well, uh, for just for entering. 
And um, they are, if things get to us in time, because they do have to send them to us, their goal is to get us uh, a $10 gift certificate to their online shop for everybody who comes through the door at Ardcon, capped at about 120 pe- 120 people. Uh, so if you're that first 120 people, you'll be getting a $10 gift certificate from Fenris Workshop, which is amazing. Wow, that's um, awesome. We've had amazing support, <clears throat> sorry, um, from sponsors uh, you know, Century Box, one of Calgary's uh, most well-known uh, gaming areas. Uh, they're one of the largest in Western Canada, um, one of Jim's favorite places. Uh, they've sponsored the show uh, with gift cards. We have um, sponsorship from uh, PM Hobbycraft, one of the largest hobbycraft stores in – it's like a warehouse uh, in Canada. They're sponsoring the show. Super, super great people there. And uh, so happy to have them on board. Uh, Ogre's Den, which is another gaming cafe. They do a lot of really cool stuff. They've, you, you would freak at this place, Jim. It's just like table, 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 table. Tons of tables. They hold like Magic the Gathering, D&D, Warhammer, tons of stuff on these tables. It's so cool. They're helping sponsor the show. Um, uh, Wayward Brothers Tattoos. We said, Mike, uh, we're going to have some merch at the show, which is really exciting. But one of the things that is really cool and it's a bit of a secret is our good friend Mike is doing us a show poster and the artwork, we've both seen it, is just jaw-dropping. It's so amazing. We'll be selling prints of that at the show. Um, I'm working on some dice bags. It'll be, say, Ardcon on them. We'll be selling them at the show. And Ardcon buttons will also be, uh, like kind of lapel pin buttons will be sold at the show. Uh, That's also very, very exciting. Um... I'm gonna leave broke. Also, <laughs> Kings Valley Forge uh, sponsored the minis, so he gave me a wicked deal on those. So and d- yeah. designed them. Yeah, Dustin Kings Valley Forge is such a great dude. Um, amazing. Any of the work that I do in train building, anytime I need any stuff 3D printed, if I need to add something to my uh, build, I always get Dustin to help me out. He's so great. Uh, check him out. Super helpful. Super friendly. And I'm so glad he can. He really wanted to come to the show, but he's far out east and it's a hard, hard trek. And yeah. that's too bad. Maybe next time. But uh, yeah, he's a great supporter of Ardcon. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else I should be mentoring, mentioning. Um, uh, Courtney is going to be one of the judges alongside of you. Yeah. Which is pretty exciting. Uh, one of the other people uh, that have grabbed a table is the Black Falls. Uh, it's a small town out here in Alberta. Black Falls Mini Painting Club. And they're coming, they have two tables, and they're going to be painting minis all day long, and they're going to be running little tiny mini sessions if you want to learn how to do mini painting. So oh, they're going cool. to be, at, yeah, they're going to, they got table as well going on. So there, there's so much happening. I, I think it's just going to be, uh, I'm hoping, a really, really fun time for everybody. It's going to be a tornado of fun, people. Tornado of fun. <laughs> an, epic, an epic tornado of fun. Uh, $5 at the door, super cheap to get in, 12 and under are free. Um, it's at the Renfrew Community Association. Uh, I can give you an address here if you like. 811 Radford Road, Northeast Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And uh, all of this information is available online at ardcon.com. That's A-A-R-D-C-O-N.com. Uh, lots of information going on. We also have a little Instagram, uh, site set up for that as well you can check that out on instagram um yeah a lot of work going on a lot of people contributing um it's yeah i hope i've I've had really good really good response from people and i think a lot of it's come because this is so so grassroots 
I think people are a little bit tired of the big box stuff of everything right now. Mm-hmm. And people have really kind of engaged with this kind of, yeah, let's just have fun and keep it low key and, and just see what we can do. And that's really seemed to resonate with people, which is very exciting. Yeah, and I have to public speak there. So yeah, let's keep it low key, everybody. <laughs> Jim Jim's gonna be awesome. And and worst case, we'll just turn his chair around to face away from the crowd and you'll you'll yeah. be fine. But, uh, <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. I I'm, I'm I think we're just gonna have a great time and uh, I think it's gonna go by super quick. Like I think before we know it, it's gonna be over. Um but next uh, year, all weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Um, no, it's been really good. There's a Facebook event online as well. So if you did want to check that out, you certainly can. And, um, I think that's probably about it about Ardcon really. Um, yeah. yeah. Any questions, we send them our way. And, uh, if you are in the Calgary area or nearby enough to come make it, please come out to the show. Come say hi, Jim and I will both be there. We'd love to see you. And, uh, yeah, we'll be recording the uh, next episode of uh, 13 sided die at the con and it should be good. Yeah, no, no. Next time on Thirteen Side Die, this. I don't time. think there is. I think next time is this time right now, eh? <laughs> yeah, so we'll know. Wow, that's crazy. We'll be at the con. At the con. So, yeah, there you go. If anybody does have any questions they'd like us to read out at the show, uh, that's a great thing. Send them mm-hmm. our way, like we'd mentioned earlier. Send them, email them to us, or hit us up on Instagram, and uh, we'll certainly read them out um, at the at the show. Um, yeah, should be really good. Yeah. Cool. Uh, is there anything else we needed to touch on? Mm, I don't think so. I was going to talk some more about Aragorn, but we'll save that for next time. We'll save that for next time. Okay. Maybe at the show. Um, cool. Other than that, please. Thank you guys. We do really, really appreciate all the love and support. Uh, if you're not following the podcast, please do. We'd love to see our subscriber count go up. Uh, it's been hanging there at like 13 for a really long time and we just want to kind of, (laughs) kind of break out of that. Um, no, you guys are amazing and it just blows us away every day and we see how many people listen to this all places all around the world. It's pretty cool. So, uh, we do like doing it and we love reaching out to you great people. Yeah. And thanks Sean for coming on so late so we can have this chat. Hey, no worries, buddy. I'm glad we could pull it off and, uh, yeah, yeah, we just kind of squeezed it into the schedule. It was perfect. Yeah, I think awesome. like you mentioned in the break, this is a bit of a loosey goosey, little bit of a different. This feels a bit more like episode zero, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more refined episode zero. Yeah, I think so. I think but we're it's, both, it's the same crap. <laughs> it's the same crap. I think we're both just a little, little bit tired and punchy, and it's not quite as tight as it could be. But yeah. you know what? That's okay. It's all fun. Yeah, awesome. Good deal. Well, thanks everybody, and uh, I'll see you at ArtCon there, Sean. I'm looking forward to it, my friend. All right, everybody. Good night. Take care. Well done, you. You've made it to the end of the podcast. You are a bold adventure to be sure. Remember to fill your wire skin and to have your blade sharpened at the blacksmith's before departing. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast to be notified of new 13-sided die adventures. And don't forget to tell your friends about the silly fools talking about D&D. 13-Sided Die has been brought to you by Sean and Jim. Executive produced by Sean and Jim. Mini painting by Sean and Jim. Engineered by Sean and Jim. Bobble and torture device by Sean and Jim. Conceptualized by Sean and Jim. Please note, no goblins were harmed in the making of this podcast.